You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And today my co-host is Director of Recruitment, Mr. Mark Scarlotta. Good morning, Summer. Good morning. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast with me. Happy to be here. Today on the podcast, we are honored to have Dr. Mike Lee back here in the studio. Um, Dr. Mike Lee, if you did not hear his Provider's Perspective episode, he is a board-certified family medicine physician, but he also specializes in the discussion of burnout. This is a very serious subject, and it's something that um, if you're a physician, it's near and dear to your heart, and we've had physicians talk to us about this many times, and so we thought this would be really important to have Dr. Lee come back into the studio, and let's open the discussion. So Mark and I, we're really excited to have him back, and all his feedback and everything he talks about is so important, and so if you know someone um, dealing with this or you yourself are, um, this is the episode for you. So thank you so much for listening. And here's our episode with Dr. Mike Lee. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Lee, thank you for coming back on the Doc Lounge with us. Yes, welcome thank you back. For, oh, thank you for having me back. I wasn't sure if you'd want to have me back after <laughs> yeah. the first one. No, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to talk about a pretty serious subject today, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of blogs and things about it out there, but it's a subject that um, needs to be brought out and I, I think it's a little bit more serious than most people think um, and that's physician burnout so uh, dr. Lee you're really passionate about this subject uh, give us a little bit of history on how that um, passion came about sure I you know for me I, I realized especially during my med school training I can tell you that numerous of my colleagues and including myself actually uh, had kind of felt gone through the sort of burnout but we didn't really know what it was I you know I think sometimes we confused it with just being overly tired or you know not feeling sleep deprived I mean there, there are different kind of irrational justifications we had for this feeling we had but what I, I guess that what um, I come to realize that actually I think well, a lot of us were just burned out and I remember at the time one of my colleagues who was really going through a hard time you know went to the administration kind of shared what's going on and unfortunately the response was just you know you can always delay a year or here's the number to psychiatry and I don't think that's at the fault of the administration I think it's just that sometimes I've realized that we're really good about taking care of patients and that's kind of the culture that we're trained in but it wasn't really a lot of how to take care of yourself you know yeah, yeah no one no one ever taught us oh this is what you need to take care of you we never had a class on that during med school you know or, or in our training and so then I realized for me when I heard that I was like that that just can't be right you know that that doesn't sound like it should be appropriate because we need to take care of each other we need to take care of ourselves and but we didn't have any guidance and really how to do that well especially kind of you know that the attitude was always in our training was to just put your head down and keep going so if a patient died that you're taking care of and it really affected you emotionally it was kind of like you're afraid to say anything or show any emotion because it was a sign of weakness mm. you know or mm. or you would be yeah. ashamed for doing that like what's wrong with you can't handle it you know that was kind of the mentality unfortunately a lot of us were trained in in that kind of culture so then a lot of us were just silently I realized just burning out and so I think my passion came really when I started seeing my friends and including myself going through it to realizing that we need to have some help like there has to be resources there has to be something that we can go to to really support us through some of these really hard times in our training and especially in our practice of medicine if you were to define burnout, how would you define it? Right, that's a great question because I, I, you know, it's it's funny. It's really there's this uh, researcher, Dr. Maslock, who did a whole burnout inventory. So it's kind of an MBI scale that you can take. And what she does is she breaks it down into three ways. She says the first component is emotional exhaustion. The second one is depersonalization or cynicism. And the third one is kind of the lack of feeling of mm. personal accomplishment. So I think we can all connect with the emotional exhaustion part. That's mm. just feeling tapped out. You feel like everyone's sucking the life out of you. You know, you're, you're giving up so much of your uh, just care and compassion. They almost call it almost compassion fatigue where you're just always giving, but you're not really receiving anything or recharging or reloading that. Mm. 
And then the second part of, you know, a kind of depersonalization or cynicism is more, you know, when you meet those colleagues who are just angry when they come to work, they're, they're just upset. You can tell their energy is really negative. They feel like everyone is just a pain. You know, no one's there to help them. You know, the, it's, it's the, that surgeon that, you know, throws instruments in the OR when they're angry. You know, that's, that's kind of that sort of cynicism and depersonalization. They, the whole feeling of humanity part of being a doctor is gone and that, when you get to that point. And then the lack of feeling of personal accomplishment is more just you're at that point where you just kind of go through this feeling of like, I, I'm not where I want to be in my life. You know, this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. So when you hit those three components, and I'd say for um, the research that most doctors, more than half actually have one of those three components and of burnout that they're dealing with or struggling with. Um, it's interesting. They find that for female physicians, it's more the emotional exhaustion yeah. that they feel first. Um, for the male physicians, it's more of the depersonalization or cynicism that they feel first. Yeah. So, you know, when I see my, and, and it's funny because, not funny, but it's one of those things where I'll like notice in my male colleagues, if I just, see, I get just this vibe that it's like they're just negative, you know, they, mm -hmm. they just seem really annoyed, irritable, easily irritated, you know, they're the ones that are yelling at their residents or their med students or whatever it is. I'll just kind of approach them and I'll be like, how are you doing? Because most of the time it's really because they're just not in a good place, you know, sure. they're burned out. And then, you know, for your female colleagues if they just seem really distant or they just seem tired it's hard you know then then I kind of get a sense that hey there's something deeper going on than just being tired and so I you know what I tell people is how you gauge it is it's kind of like how you feel before you go on vacation right and then you go on vacation you come back, you feel great, and then two days later, you're feeling exactly how you felt before you went on vacation. That's kind of that's kind of how I tell people. You can kind of gauge it based on that, and that's how you know when you're not in a good place or you're feeling burned out. And, and we talked, sorry, Mark, uh, we, we talked about this misleading approval or um, about leaders that um, encourage you or um, incentivize you for working super hard, right? Right, right? And it's so misleading because as a leader, you know, you should, this guy works 12 hour days or he's worked 24 hours. He's awesome, you right, know, and, right. and you get praised. That's the word I'm looking for. You get praised for burning yourself out, right? right? Where it should right. be more like, hey, that's not right. Like you need to go home. That makes you not, you're not going to be the, at your best. Right, right. And, you know, and I think that's across not just being a physician, that's everywhere. And I think it's such a misconception for bosses and leaders. Well, this person comes in at six and leaves at seven. It's not healthy. Right. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I, I, I'm sorry, just uh -huh. to kind of, on top of that, I think one of the things that leaders should really look at, and actually my, my mentor, Dr. Pam Hansberger, um, had taught me was that you people should, leaders should really be looking at vacation time. They should be looking at people's vacation time and being like, wow, this person hasn't taken a vacation in a while, or they've got a lot of built up vacation days. Like what's going on here? You know? And you know, the other things you can monitor is actually, you can even track how long they're on the computer, how long they're on their. Uh, you know, on the electronic medical records. And if they're on it after hours for long periods of time, those are the people we need to be proactively, as leaders, proactively reaching out to and saying, hey, what's going on? We noticed you're on the computer a lot at home after hours. And what can we do to help you deal with that or help you get through that day better? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I think you maybe just answered my question is I was going to ask you that you had realized that uh, doing your, during your own time in residency that you had felt this, this burnout and that it kind of struck a chord with you right. and it became a passion for you. Right. Other than what you just said, is there anything else that if you were a residency director that you could do to help with burnout? I would definitely say that one thing you can do is actually talk about it. I, you know, it's one of those things where, um, and this is what I learned from Dr. Brene Brown, who I, I've gotten certified and has done a bunch of work on shame and authenticity and vulnerability is shame doesn't exist when there's empathy. So, you know, that's the antidote to shame. So we could just talk about it and put it out there that, hey, it's going to be normal. Like you're going to burn out. You're going to have moments in your career where it's going to happen. You'd be surprised at how people are like, oh, it's not something I have to be ashamed of where I have to bottle up or hide it in a closet. Like we can talk about it and just know that I'm not the only one. Because I think for a lot of the docs, including myself in training, it was like we didn't want to talk about it because we didn't want to admit to it. Because my thinking was, am I the only one? You know, like, am I the only one feeling this way? And when you, when you actually can feel open enough to talk about it, and if the leaders 
create a culture where you're open to talk about it without feeling ashamed for it or without feeling you know persecuted for feeling this way then it really becomes something that is more positive than negative and then um, if anything you get through it faster I, I was you know one of the ahas I had recently because uh, you know I was treating a patient with um with like cold sores and I thought about it and I was like oh my gosh like burnout is like a cold sore you know it, it's one of those things where you know we um we go in and out of it I don't believe I think people think oh if you burn out once it's over that's it you won't yeah. get it again but I tell people in our careers you're going to go through periods of burnout and it may not necessarily always be work related sometimes it's life circumstance you know you have a sick parent that's in the hospital or your you've got life. right your home life or you know your marriage is falling apart or you know you're going through some challenges with your kids and parenting I mean there's lots of different things so I tell people all the time like what we have to think about a burnout is not that it's just a one-time thing and you get over it mm-hmm. that you go you'll go through periods of burnout throughout your career but like a cold sore you kind of have to figure out what your medication is going to be what's your Valtrex or mm-hmm. your you know what works for you exactly yeah. it's going to help you to get out of it faster so on that note other than vacation taking time off what resources would you suggest if our the the audiences that was listening to this, you know, some of our physician audience is listening to this, and it strikes a chord with them as well in terms of, hey, I'm having some of these systems, or I know I'm going through uh, a burnout, right. other than taking time off and going on vacation, which sure. always helps, of course. Yeah. Sure. What are some other resources that they could tap into right now? To help them. Right. Well, actually, there's quite a few people that are doing quite a, uh, a bunch of work on burnout. There's a guy named Dyke Drummond. He's a physician, but he does a ton of work on burnout, so he's got a website out there. And then Pamela Weibel has done a ton of work on physician suicide, so they provide a lot of resources mm-hmm. and um, suggestions and things like that. What I would say is really the first step when I coach, because I actually coach people who go through burnout, and this is kind of a, this is what I do for myself when I'm going through it too as well, is I actually have them take a step back because I think a lot of times when you're going through burnout, out, your mindset is in a really bad place in the sense of you feel like you have no control and so right yeah absolutely and you start to feel you go into the sort of victim mode victim mentality and a lot of times when we go into that victim mode we feel helpless so I always ask people when they when I meet with them is to take a step back and breathe and think about what you can control what you can't control because I think a lot of times when you're going through burnout you just have the sense you can't control anything so instead of being proactive you become very just reactive you're just waiting for the next bad thing to drop you know mm-hmm. and and then I think if you have that mindset it can be it, it's really hard because then you're just in that darkness for a long time mm-hmm. but if you can just take a step back and think okay what what can I control what I can I cannot control and then those things that I can control um, what can I do to make it better what can I do to get through this and sometimes if it requires taking some time off from work you know uh, if it requires getting getting a therapist which I really sincerely believe every physician mm-hmm. should have a therapist Um, to kind of help process some of this but um, I'll tell you people that a lot of times they just think taking time off will help by itself but I tell them it's going to take more than that in that time off you have to be proactive about either getting therapy or getting coaching or something uh, in that time to really help you get through that time and process and then share it with other people because it's amazing when you share with your colleagues that they have great suggestions or that they just to have someone empathize with you it is part of the healing process I think I think for the ones I worry about the most are the silent sufferers you know the mm-hmm. ones that the ones that aren't telling anybody about what they're going through sure. but then that's the scary part is those are the ones that are committing suicide right. or doing something really really bad and so I mean to their bodies or to themselves or to their families or whatever it might be and so it's really tough through your research and work mm-hmm. in this particular subject are there any statistics Dr. Lee that says that a certain percentage of the workforce, a physician workforce out there suffers burnout? Is it just rampant? Is it, can we quantify this in any way? You know, it is definitely rampant. It's out there. Um, in terms of quantifying, it's really hard. We just think that there are more, you know, as, as the data shows, there's more than half of physicians do uh-huh. suffer some component of burnout. So it's definitely more than half now. And I do think that there, and actually the other statistic that comes out is that female physicians are more prone to burnout than male physicians are. And and that is interesting. And I think there's a lot of factors to that that contribute. Part of it is I think that a lot of the domestic pressures do fall on the on the, mm-hmm. on the the women more than the men oftentimes. And then also too, I, I do think that patients have different expectations from the female physicians and the male ones. You know, I think I think it's interesting. When I, when I, when I see an ankle sprain, it often is just an ankle sprain. You know, it's just they're here, 
this ankle sprain. When my female colleague sees an ankle sprain, it's that on top of my husband's leaving me. And it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, if I have like one or two patients cry on me in a week, that's like a bad week. My, my co- female colleagues are like, hey, man, it's like half my patients in a morning are crying on me, you know, are going through some hard stuff. And it's just a different. And so I can't imagine how exhausting that's got to be, you know, if I had to deal with that. So, you know, I, I definitely think that there are different expectations that are put on our female physician colleagues. And that's why I think it's really important that we are able to recognize that and find some better ways to, to support that practice if we can for the, our female colleagues, especially. Yeah, yeah in that way. Yeah. We, we have heard stories from family medicine physicians that when they are seeing patients, more and more and more of these patients are requiring some type of mental health. And they're having to wear two hats. I mean, I know as a family physician, you wear a lot of hats. But if you just generalized it, I have to be a family medicine physician and figure out all of their issues, whatever that might be. And then I have to be a therapist. Right, right. On top of it. And I'm assuming that can be taxing because it's double the amount of work. Right, absolutely. Especially in the requirements of time. You know, right. yeah, right. the time factor is always hard. Right. You've, got to, you've got to see 20, 25 patients, whatever it is right. per day. You've got to get these people moving. Right. At the same time, you don't want to seem like you're, you're rude or you're hurrying them. You're, right. you're giving them the time that they're looking for. Absolutely. And then I think part of that challenge too comes in that now there's patient satisfaction scores. So, right. you know, now you've got to deal with that component because for some companies or some organizations, they you have to meet a certain metric or score to become a partner or to get a financial reward or something like that you know so I think definitely those are some of the challenges as well because and and I think as at the core of every physician they want to be able to you know meet the needs of the patients they do but it is definitely hard when you're quantified by a time you know you've got this much time scheduled and and then the patients get upset because you're running late or you know this and that and or late than that what they expected you know so I think that's always even more challenging in that way too is there any like in big medical centers I know they usually have um a psychiatrist or psychologist on um, call for mm-hmm. when someone loses a loved one, or do they have anything like that for physicians? They are, oh, that's a great question. They actually do. I know that at least you know when I was at Kaiser Permanente, they did, which was great. You know, the challenge, I'll be honest with you though, is getting physicians to actually make that stigma. call. Right? It's absolutely. It's that negative stigmatism. Yeah, and that, and that negative stigma that that comes with. Um, dealing with uh, asking for help. Because, you know, I mean, I can't tell you, we always joke around, we say, how many of us in med school had, had were taught to ask for help? It was, it was not there. If you asked for help, it was a sign of you didn't know. Weakness. Weakness, right, right. They're like, you're not, you can't handle it. So that was kind of the culture that, and I think it's, and I believe it's really different now. I believe that the med schools and the education and the residency programs are definitely because of all the, the talk about burnout and, and because it's out there, they're shifting that culture, but it, it's still there definitely and I think especially for the older generation doctors um, even if you put it as a resource it's hard for them to actually reach out so what's nice is actually sometimes it's if you can create a, a system where it's automatic you know where where if you're going through something it's automatic someone's going to reach out to you yeah. and so that's the nice thing I know that definitely here at Kaiser at Orange County they have the system like that where mm-hmm. if the doctor's going through something it's almost become they try to make it as automatic as possible where you'll ask for help and most of the time we appreciate it you know we really do we appreciate it because we sometimes don't have the courage or the strength to actually do that or to reach out so mm-hmm. once someone reaches out to us it's actually nice and we receive it most of the time pretty well yeah yeah and I and I kind of get like my husband's a firefighter paramedic and I mean right. he sees some horrible things right. and uh um, sometimes he'll come home and he's just quiet mm-hmm. you know and I'll be like do you want to talk about it you know and um, you know, there's a lot of times that he doesn't cause he doesn't want to, cause I'm not in the you know medical field. He doesn't want to share with me that, you know, he saw this girl, my age, opening her door on the side of the street in a car, you know, and he, right. he's picking her up off the pavement and like the stuff that he sees is unreal. Oh my gosh. It's gotta be so traumatic. Yeah. And, um, so a lot of times it doesn't even matter if I want to hear it or not. A lot of times I... I, I let it get it up to him, you know, but I don't just ask him and then stop, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to um, do what I can to make sure that he has the right outlet to 
because I mean, just like doctors, you guys see really intense things that the normal person isn't used to seeing. Right, right, absolutely. And this is why there was, you know, there's so much, when you think about physicians and dealing with some substance abuse, whether it be alcoholism or depression and anxiety, there's a lot, you know, there's definitely some of that too as well within our field because Mm -hmm. we don't have an outlet, you know? And so sometimes it's easier just for us to numb it with, I mean, this isn't just for physicians, but everyone, Mm -hmm. we numb them. This is what I learned from Brene Brown was that you just numb it with these substances, whether it be alcohol, alcohol or gambling drugs whatever it might be which is a whole separate issue on top right exactly and i think some like with firefighters it's interesting one of my colleagues who's a psychiatrist dr neil doshi taught was that you know for some of them i know when they go through something hard they actually have they're forced not forced but it is part of their um, response that they go see a therapist and then they get cleared exactly uh, right to go back and um, and I think that's fantastic. We don't have anything like that. I think in that should be mandatory Absolutely. in medicine. Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy when you think about a trauma surgeon who goes and does yeah. like does a trauma, loses a patient on the table, and then has to walk out the door and do another surgery within the next like thirty minutes. I mean, that's insane. You yeah, know, or, like or an ER doctor. Right. Absolutely. Right. That they just see bad stuff too. they see tons mm-hmm. of bad stuff, and then they have to go back. And I mean, you wonder why there's a high rate of burnout in ER medicine. You know, from that, it's just it's like no. And, and how often does someone just check? in with them to say hey man I just saw that that kid that you tried to save and coded past how are you doing you know are you, mm-hmm. and you know we want you to see someone you know to have someone be able to talk and talk them through it but it's not of that it's like you just got to put your dad head down and keep going and and, and see another patient you know yeah. and, and so compartmentalize exactly it'd be great if we could find some way because I think sometimes we forget that we're just as human as our patients are mm-hmm. and it's almost like we have this sort of um, there's this old school mentality that we're supposed to be superhuman or super people and mm-hmm. we're we're human just like anyone else we have our own emotions we have our own family issues you know it's just saying I think oftentimes I think my patients think I have this perfect life you know like that all doctors you you make good money you all have your you know BMWs your Benzes and you like you have good families but I I, you know it's oftentimes I have to remind patients we're just as human as you are you know we have our marital issues we have our issues we have our financial that you come out with a bunch of debt right Right. Oh my gosh. My colleagues, some of my colleagues have like three or four hundred thousand dollars in debt. They just come that out stress that. on your back all it, the time on is. top of everything else. It is. It's a huge stressor to have to pay those loans back for sure at the same yeah. time. Definitely. You know, as, as recruiters, we talk to physicians all the time that have student loans. And I'm working with an OBGYN right now. Six hundred thousand. Okay. And when she talks about it, to your point, Summer, I can hear the stress in her voice. Yes. It's a monkey on her back. She's carrying a big backpack of six hundred thousand dollars, right? right? And she's trying to lighten that load. Right. I can hear it. So I guess there's a lot from this conversation that we've learned that can go into to burnout, and it all makes sense. And you've got some solutions for people listening to this. What about you yourself? Did you did you mention that you've done some training? Do do you personally? work and help and can people reach out to you or is that not part of your sure. program? I mean, you know, I th- when I was, I can tell you it was kind of, it was interesting when I was at, uh, when I was working at, at uh, Kaiser Permanente, I was actually a communications coach. So, you know, p- uh, physicians who might've been struggling with their satisfaction scores or just having a hard time connecting with their patients. And oftentimes when I would meet with them, it was interesting because I found it was, they were fine. They're actually really good communicators and they connected well, but they were burned out. So, you know, it was, I, I part of that position instead of being a communications coach a lot of it was actually being almost like a therapist so that kind of helped me develop those skills of how to support and uh, oftentimes I think people just need to be reminded that they're a good doctor that you know I think one of the biggest themes that I've learned from doing some of the coaching regarding burnout is really just around self-compassion I think what has driven a lot of us into this career is that sort of beating up on ourselves you know like I have to like be hard on myself I have to keep going and Dr. Kristen Neff, who's written a couple books on self-compassion, has done a ton of research on it. It, it. The research shows clearly that when you have that sort of self kind of deprecating self sort of self-critical mindset you actually it only leads to depression anxiety because it, it's it's it, it there's no end to it you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like you go to one point and then there's no end to that and so really um, a lot of the work that i've been doing on myself and for some of my colleagues is around self-compassion 
So just learning how do I talk to myself as I would talk to my best friend. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you talk to your best friend like you talk to yourself, you'd have no friends. You know what I mean? Think, yeah. about, think about how many times you, you talk, you trash down to yourself. You know, you, um, God, I suck. Like, I'm a terrible parent. I'm a terrible spouse. You know, like, what was I thinking? I'm so stupid. You know, I mean, how many of these negative comments do we say about ourselves on a regular basis? You know, and I think really learning how to kind of take a step back from that and shifting it to more of how do I become more compassionate towards myself? So when, um, you know, if, you're, if your colleague was going through a, a marital issue, if your colleague was going through depression, what would you say? You'd say, go see a therapist, go, go get help. But then at the same time, you're going through the same thing and you're not doing it, you know? So, yeah. as I say, not as I right, <laughs> Absolutely, right? And so, you know, so I think we have to, so self-compassion has been my big thing. Because, you know, I think a lot of people will lean out to like, they'll say exercise, plant-based diets, things like that. And I always joke around, I'm like, you know, for some people, including myself, exercise stresses me out sometimes, you know, or it, it, it's not the cure. It may be what works for you. Um, but I tell people, you know, before we go there, we really have to think about uh, my first piece is how do I find ways of being compassionate towards myself so that actually then I'll be more proactive about wanting to take care of myself too as well. Yeah. You know, and it's hard when you're coming from a culture which is very sacrificial. You know, it's always about giving, 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 but not really learning about how do I care for myself. Because, you know, it's like when you ever do anything nice for yourself, what do you feel? It's oftentimes that self-imposed guilt. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, I should be really spending time with my parents or I should be doing this or you know all these things but being able to how do we how do we work towards being able to let that go and see that I have to take care of myself first before I care for other people yeah and I think as um physicians you guys have to have each other's backs and I mean that's the biggest thing is to um when you see someone and you have that instinct that they could be struggling or having a bad day or just being that person um to lend a hand or lend an ear or you know and and if they say not be afraid to go back because most people will say no the first time you know and um because how much regret are you going to have when you get the call that they just you know took their life and there's so much regret of oh my gosh I could have just you know took that five minutes to go back again and and you know really try and it's just um, especially you physicians, you know what each other goes through. Mm-hmm. So who better to be exactly. like, hey, I understand. Just right. let's talk about it. What can I do? And right. Um, right. not be afraid to do that. Right. And and be okay with being vulnerable and authentic in the sense of saying just like, hey, I've been through it too. Like yeah. I burn out too. You know, like I've gone through it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to be able to say that, that it just to remind them that they're not alone. You know, and no, but I appreciate you saying that because that's so important. A lot of times I, I, I find that the issue that we struggle with with reaching out with colleagues is when we don't know an answer, we don't want to say anything. You know, I think I think we don't have a solution, we want to just keep our mouth shut. But what we don't forget is that part of the solution and part of that is just listening and just caring for. So I would suggest for every every physician, if they notice something's changed in their colleague or they're worried about someone. That I mean, you may not have their fix. You may not know what's going to help them get out of it, but it's okay. It's it means a lot to someone, and it's part of the helping them. It's just by sitting and, and saying, "Hey, I care about you. I've noticed something's different. I wanted to check in and make sure you're mm-hmm. do, you know that things are okay, and um, and and then just go from there. And you, I can't tell you how many times I've done that for people, and even though I didn't know exactly what was going on, or even though I didn't have a solution for them, mm-hmm. just for me being able to sit and listen and hear them about how bad their day was, how things are going on, how rough their marriage is going through just to hear them out and just to be able to say like oh my gosh like I can't imagine how hard I think a lot of times people know what to do they just want someone to listen and hear them out first you know it's it's kind of one of those things I joke around because I do a lot of coaching around empathic communication and I say uh, it's kind of like when you come home from a bad day and you're venting to your spouse. Um, oh, my day was terrible. You know, I think the last thing a lot of us want to hear is, well, did you do this? Did you ask that? Did uh, Why don't you quit? Why don't, you know, getting solutions. Um, because that that's not helpful. You just want to smack the other person at that point, right? <laughs> I mean, it's funny. And so I joke around, you know, not to genderize it, but oftentimes it's the men, right? Because we're fixers. Um, but what I say sometimes is you just, sometimes part of the, part of the, fixing and part of that um, healing part is really just listening and saying that sucks oh my gosh I can't imagine how hard that must be and just to hear someone out it's amazing how healing that can be for people and I feel and 
um, just from personal experience, I know mostly if something's going on and someone asks me, do you want to talk about it? My instinct usually is like, no, because you're, you're like, oh, they're just asking to be nice, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I almost feel like there's like a rule of three in it. Like, because you can't just say, you know, well, I tried. I reached out once, you know, and they didn't want to talk. But it's always the first time you reach out, that's when they're kind of like, I'm not sure if I want to bring, bring this up. And then you come back again. Uh, you know, just in a compassionate way and try again and maybe at least always tell yourself, like give yourself that like, you know, three times, I'm gonna really try. And if they don't, then I'm not, you know, bug them. But I feel like it's worth not just being like, well, I, you know, I asked them once and they didn't want to talk to me. Because right. I think in society, a lot of times you almost just naturally feel like that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like, yeah, I should probably go ask. But, oh, well, I asked, right. he didn't want to talk to me. Um, and it's, it's deeper than that. Right. And I think if you really do care, it's being consistent and, uh, going back again. Right. Right. No, I like that. I like that a lot because I think our, always our first reaction when someone asks is like, I'm fine. You know, yeah. I, you know, like that is, it's like, I'm fine. Even though inside you're dying, you know, like totally. I think that that's our first response. Like I'm fine. And I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think the other thing to consider is also the time that you do it, because if you're doing it in between patients or when it's crazy, of course, they're not going to be able to open up. But if you can find a time in the day during lunch, maybe, or mm-hmm. after work, uh, you know, whatever it might be to be able just to have that moment. Um, I, I think what you, I love your suggestion. I think that rule of three is fantastic mm-hmm. to be able to do it at that and point. And approach time right. and approach right. come from a non-judgmental open mm-hmm. you know yeah guard down definitely definitely because what i'll tell people is sometimes just going in and actually being a little vulnerable on yourself so what i'll do is i'll go on and be like oh my god this week has been so painful we got so many of these you know these patients coming in like really stressed out that i've been seeing it's been exhausting how are you dealing with it you know so it's kind of like i'll kind of open up a little bit and then it it, and then it makes them be like oh me too like right 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 exactly and then just kind of allowing that window to be opened um because i think when you're willing to do that then it actually does that then it it makes them realize that there's no ulterior motive to find out because what i'll tell you is i think this is the hardest thing about leaders um, and being in leadership is oftentimes because they know you're a leader and because you have a title it does change the dynamic a lot so as a leader you know i think for a lot of us if my leader comes and comes and asks me i don't want to say that i'm struggling because i don't want them to be like oh we got to look out for that doctor like you know is he a right fit for this group or you know what i mean we're afraid we're going to be judged or or um, criticized in some way for showing some of that vulnerability. So I believe that it, I think it is hard for a leader in that way. But that's where I think your rule of three is great because I think a lot of times as leaders, we just ask one time and we think, okay, they're fine. Yep. But uh, but I love your rule of three because I think especially in, if you have a leadership title or in leadership, I think that's where just coming around a second or third time really shows that doctor that you're really, you really care and that you yeah. really want to know. And we, we learned last time that... You're going to start this new exciting opportunity here yeah. in the next couple of weeks or so. Right. And I believe that you're going to be a, a, have a medical director title. Yes. Okay. Yes. So is that how you're going to institute um, different types of um, opportunities for physicians to come and talk to you? Or what are you going to do specifically to try to help them? to try to reduce burnout for your own employees? Sure, no, that's a great question. It's really exciting. I, I feel so privileged. I'll be joining a group called One Medical, and they're just gonna be opening up clinics here in Orange County soon in a few months, and I'll be the district medical director there. And oh. one of the thing, reasons why I really was interested in this group and really I was attracted to them is because they are big believers in physician and provider wellness. So that mm-hmm. was really attractive for me, and so that's one of the things that they they really push for is how do, how do we make it better for the providers to provide excellent care for uh, primary care for their patients so, so d- excuse me i didn't mean to interrupt you does does one medical then based upon what you just said have sure. certain policies procedures in place already that you're going to be able to sure, bring to your employees right, definitely and that's the nice thing is it's already kind of part of their culture um so that that's the one thing and then for me to add on to that is what i'm excited about so even though they have those policies and procedures i think a lot of it is up to the leadership to create the culture mm-hmm. and that's what i'm excited about is hope you know with the what what i know now and the experiences i've had i'll be able to create a culture among the providers to be open to be able to you know among the physicians to be able 
to share and, you know, and really, um, you know, and I always try to, you know, and whenever I lead teams, you know, I, I, I always do my best right at the outset to say, hey, I want you to know we're in this together that, you know, there's, we're all playing equally very important roles in providing care and that, uh, you know, I want us to be, you know, I want you to know that we're here to support and that I always talk about, I always try to make myself vulnerable first mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of just being able to share that, hey, I, I can tell you that some of us are going to go through some hard times and I want you to know that we're here for each other, you know, and, and make it out that way. I think the one thing that they don't do well in medical school sometimes is they don't tell you you're going to have bad, you're going to have hard patient encounters. You're going to have, you're going to have, you know, I think a lot of us come out of med school and we think, oh gosh, I'm going to, every patient's going to love me and they're going to want to hug me and, you know, I'll fix all their problems and I'll be, you know, I'll be super doctor. I think a lot of us have these like, sort of ideal things, but no one ever tells you, hey, you're going to get sued. It's going to happen. Like you're going to get sued. You're going to, you're going to, there are going to be times when you're going to maybe make some errors and you're going to just really struggle with that. Um, there are going to be times when patients are going to die that you're operating on. They're going to be, you know, things like that. And I think sometimes I wish they would tell you these things or there are going to be times when patients are going to yell at you. They're going to tell you you're the worst doctor ever. You know, like it's going to happen. And I feel like we have to do better about when they happen. This is what you have to remember. You have to remember that a lot of times, you know, not to take it too personally, to remember that, you know, you are a good doctor, you're doing your best. And it, it, uh, what we call, and part of, I think, where it goes to burnout is that negativity bias. It's that sort of, it's always, we, we stick onto the negatives more than the positives, right? Yeah. You know, um, my job here, I could describe it as stressful, because it is, mm -hmm. okay? But my decisions that I make are not life and death. I can't screw up a medication. I can't do an operation wrong. Mm -hmm. I can't make medical errors, okay? But nonetheless, in any job, I think in today's society, we're super stressed. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is an app out there that I recommend to anybody and everybody. Mm -hmm. It's called Calm. Oh yeah, I've, you know I, have, I have it actually on my phone. Do you, are you, are you I've seen the ad for it mm -hmm. come up on my phone, so, but I do not have it. So Mara Levitt is the, the creator of the Calm app. And uh, she and I connect on social media every now and again. She's a super great lady. But that Calm app, she records 365 daily, I don't know if you want to call them affirmations or you know, um, giving you information on, on, on meditation and living a calmer life. The one that I just listened to, and I, I listen to it as I drive into work, and it kind of grounds me right. a little bit. Uh -huh. You can have some nice music playing in the background, and then she does a, a quick meditation with you, you know, close your eyes, sit down, cross your legs. You can't do that while I'm driving, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she kind of calms you down a little bit, and then she has every single day a different subject that she wants to talk to you about to give you a different view of anything to do with meditation. Yesterday's was about self-compassion. Mm, I love it. Okay? Love it. We have a tendency to beat ourselves up. We're our own worst enemies. Mm. We're our biggest critics. Absolutely. Okay? Think about the stress that that puts on yourself outside of whatever else is going on in your life. Mm -hmm. Just that thinking. Right. And it's this type of stuff that even though it might be right in front of my face, it's eye-opening. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel better. And it's every single day. Right. And I don't, I, I don't do it every single day. Mm -hmm. But just every now and again, if I just want to, I've had a busy morning, I've got to drop the kids off, I'm running late, whatever the case might be, I want Tamara to calm me down. And it doesn't matter what her subject matter is. I always feel better and grounded and calmer when I get here. Right. That's great. So, so, And that's something that anybody could use at any time. It's in their pocket. Right, right. And it doesn't take a whole lot of time, right? No. no right. It's her, her. That's the other thing. That's a good point, Dr. Lee. I think it's 10 minutes total, her talk. 
on whatever subject matter it is. No, I think that's great. And I think those are, I mean, just finding those, whatever it might be for you, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. that, some people might be listening to classical music in the morning or, sure. you know, going some people, right, yeah. going for a run is huge for some people. Um, for me, my spiritual life is really important for, so taking that time in the morning to pray, yeah. you know, that, mm-hmm. that yeah. is my sort of like re- kind of reset the day and sort of uh, get refocused. Um, but, you know, whatever it is for everyone, it's interesting. There's something, I, I learned about something called tactical pause, you know, and I think one of the things that we don't do well is we don't pause in our days. You know, if you think about your day, you run, you're like running, 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 seeing patients, seeing patients. Then you got to go pick up the kids. Then you got to go make dinner. Then you got to go do these things. And it's like how many, and you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting was that someone taught me was that you have to actually intentionally take a pause in between things just to reset, which was fat. And it's not like a 20 minute thing. It's more just like a quick two minute, one minute, whatever it is, but just to take a minute to pause. Stop and smell the flowers. Right, and then reset, and then go yeah. to your next activities. Absolutely. I mean, and when I learned that, it's if I had had a bad day at work, one of the things that I've actually been better at is before I even pull into my driveway now, if, it's, if I'm feeling that negative energy still from work or that stress, I actually will just take a minute, pull off to the side, you know, maybe a block before my house, and just turn on some music or just take a decompress. minute, decompress for like two or three minutes, and it's a, and just take some deep breaths, and it's amazing how that is. And that same thing goes actually between patients. So if I'm, you know, if I just had a patient yell at me for some reason or was really upset at me or the system or the appointment, um, at, you know, I'll go into my office literally before I go into the next room to see the next patient and just take two or three minutes to breathe. Mm-hmm throw my keyboard across the room. I'm just joking, but you know, I think like, but no, no, but like whatever it might be just to take a minute and take that tactical pause mm-hmm. before I reset and go into my next appointment. And I found that that's helped me a lot yeah. too as well. I think a lot of people are reactionary mm-hmm. and I'm such a big component on you are in control. You have the ultimate control of how, um, you know, kind of how you feel or how you let yourself feel right? Feelings kind of come natural. Sometimes you can't um, help that something made you feel sad or whatever, but you have the ultimate control on how you let it affect you mm-hmm. and how you, you act and how you react. Nice. Um, and, you know, if you come home without taking that moment and you, your wife says something that upsets you and then you say something back and, you know, and, and it's... Totally reactionary, and it just makes everything spiral out. And so, just taking those five minutes could have just completely helped your entire night. Um, and it's just that getting getting grounded again and reminding yourself it's going to be okay. Right, right, totally. No, and I think that's exactly it. And knowing actually what your limits are, you know, I, um, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think that kind of talks, one of the things that I've found that um, has helped me a lot and that I coach when I work with physicians who are burned out is how to set boundaries. I, I think we are terrible at setting boundaries. You know, nobody ever taught us to say no. It was always, we, you know, we were trained in a yes culture, you know, yes to this, yes to that. And then, um, and then all of a sudden you go out there and you realize like people just keep asking for things and you just feel this need to always have to please people you know so especially if you're a people pleaser it's really hard because you just you don't want to disappoint anyone and really it it, it is such a hard thing because you are tapped out and when that comes to that and not knowing how to say no to things so especially I think for a lot of us in medicine we struggle with this um, sort of self-worth identity so you you know whenever your leadership asks you to do anything you always want to say yes because mm-hmm. number one you may have some FOMO like oh if I don't yeah. say yes to this I might miss out on another opportunity to make my leaders happy or to mm-hmm. see that I have potential and then the other part is wanting to just feel like oh wow you know if I if I keep saying yes and taking on these more and more responsibilities it gives me a feeling of self-importance but it's killing me inside you know and how many times do we say yes to something and while we're doing we're like oh I hate them so much I just want them to die you know like, like, you're like why like how dare they ask me to do something they know how busy I am but you know we don't realize the fault is actually myself that I said yes to something when inside I wanted to say no so you know it's funny uh, Brene Brown says she says she has a ring on her finger and she says that before she answers with anything she twirls it around a few times and I and she says do I choose discomfort um or you know do I choose resentment and I thought that that was really interesting because it's discomfort versus resentment so um I love this quote by Stephen Covey which is really sits with me he says instead of prioritizing your schedule schedule your priorities 
And it really, it really hit me because how many of us think about in our day, think about what's important to me? Am I spending this time with things that I really want to be doing or that I really are important to me? Or am I just doing it because I just had said yes to something that's not that important to me? So now before I ask, before someone asks me to do something, do you want to, Mike, do you want to be part of this committee? Do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. Do you want to do this? Um, I'm trying to get better because my wife will tell you I'm terrible at boundaries. She'll be like, Mike, you're too too much of a yes guy. And I'm like, I know. And that's one thing I'm trying to get better at is just asking myself, okay, is this something? Because if I say yes to this, I'm going to have to realize I'm going to have to say no to something else. So am I going to say yes to this? It's not that important to me, but then end up saying no to something that is really actually really important to me. Um, So that's one thing I think people should be thinking about in that way is just knowing how to set those boundaries and how to say no. But you can say no in a a very empathetic and kind and compassionate way. And a big part of this, the majority of us um, here in the U.S. are employees, right? And so the leaders that are listening – um, you know, I think they sometimes get tunnel vision and they just, these employees are workhorses. They're here to work, right. you know, and if you have a burnt out employee, that's going to affect your business, going to affect your hospital. And so for those, um, hospital administrators that are listening, sure. um, and those leaders, what advice would you tell them? Sure. No, I think that's a, thank you for asking. And it's a great question because what we find is actually, I would say, and um, it's just Shanafelt who's done a ton of work. He does the Stanford program for physician wellness. But one of the things that he found was that when leaders are burned out, there's a higher rate that the people under them are burned out. Mm-hmm. So I would say to those leaders, check yourself first, you know, because you yourself might even be burned out, you know, yeah. or, um, and, and you're just, unfortunately that negative energy is coming down so I would say what kind of culture you're creating I think as leaders we have to realize if we're sending out emails at 2 in the morning um, what is that saying to the people that we're leading you know if like if we can't even set good boundaries for ourselves you know so I would say that and then I would actually I think that the hard part is unfortunately when people get into leadership they get fixed on the metrics and so all they're seeing is the short term but they're not seeing the long term so sure you're right you know that physician um at the end of the day, you know, you can find another physician if that physician leaves or is burnt out, but you don't see the long-term costs of that, what that does to the organization, to the morale of their colleagues and things like that. So what I would say is if a physician comes to you and says, hey, I need some time off, um, you know, this has been going on, to figure out a way to make it happen because in the long term, if I can keep that physician working with my group, I would say let's do what we can to make that happen um, instead of having to think, I just, oh, that physician's replaceable. You know, and I think unfortunately it's hard because with the workhorse attitude, and I think some hospital administrators do feel this way because I've heard this from some of them, is that physicians are replaceable. You know, like yeah. I, if yeah. that person doesn't do well, I can find another one, no problem. Sure. And I tell them, you know what, they, they are not looking at the long term, they're just seeing the short term, but actually mm-hmm. the cost of losing a doctor, to have to retrain somebody, to have to go through all that mm-hmm. is much higher. And then the psychological cost and the carnage that leaves behind, mm-hmm. not only for that doctor, but also their colleagues, because they're like, wow, my leadership, they see, my leadership didn't even care for my colleague, or they, you know, they don't realize a lot what that does for the morale of the group as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think leaders really have to look at the big picture instead of just seeing the what's my quarterly, you know, what are my yeah. quarterly metrics going to look like? You know, what is right. this going to be? Yeah. I think that they have to see that that's what really will get people to stay. Because I found that the leaders who really care and who really will kind of invest in their in the people that they are leading Mm -hmm. they're the ones that are the most sticky because people are not loyal to an organization quote unquote they're loyal to people so you know i think if and i think that that if your leader shows and who are we who are we loyal to we're the people we're loyal to people who we think really genuinely care about us and invest in us so i think if you can build that kind of culture i really believe that that actually will create more stickiness and i think a lot of times people um like at a previous job we said we have these core values right and and like even how like we have here they were written on the wall you know but it was just for show no one's living those core values the leaders weren't and it's just they want they expect everyone else to live by these core values and do it and it's supposed to be the big part and it's on the you know but it's they're not showing each individual employee as leaders um that core value like that they really really care about um their employees and i think i mean beyond even saying you have core values you just need to really um internally have them like yourself and not just 
do it to say that your company has them. I right. think that's a big thing these days. They just want to, yeah. you know. Right. It's it's kind of like what's the catch term, yeah. you know, out there now. And mm-hmm. it's kind of right. No, I appreciate you saying that because I think that's so true. And that's where I think culture is such a huge thing. I'm really big on culture. So actually, I do leadership coaching as well as I've coached other leaders. And um, one of the things that I always say is you have to be consistent with your values and the values of the company. So mm-hmm. your actions, the decisions you make, I always tell people it sets precedence that other people are watching you as a leader. So if you're making a value-based decision that makes sure it's consistent and make sure it's with that because where trust is broken is when people are inconsistent you know trust is broken when they're like I don't know like they did this for that person but then they did something else for another person that was not consistent with the values of the company or the values or who I thought that person was but Mm -hmm. you know if it's consistency and you really are pushing that so I've had friends who have been very bold and courageous leaders where they had to make hard decisions of letting someone go because that person's actions were not consistent with the values of the company but but, um, and initially, I can tell you my friends who were the, those leaders that have coached were initially scared. They're worried that, oh, if I let this person go, like, I don't know what that's going to do to the morale. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly, they found the opposite. They found actually it strengthened the morale because yeah. people were like later on, people were like, oh, my gosh, that person definitely was not acting in the way that's consistent yeah. with our company's culture. And I, you know, a lot of people like, you know, it's always after that person goes, the stuff comes out of the woodworks, right? Yeah, like, right. and so, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that more than the opposite mm-hmm. that, you know, and I think a lot of that is really important. And our leaders here, um, it's always known they hire and fire on the core values. On the core values. Yeah. No, is that mean, important to them? That's I mean, that's huge. And that builds trust within the organization. Mm-hmm. And definitely that that trust, I, I always tell people trust is so key. And whenever I've seen organizations break down or things get really negative in the, in the morale and the culture, it's because there's no trust within the group. And I think that's where, and that's up to the leadership, I think, because everyone models after the leaders. So mm-hmm. the leaders, I think they will often will blame the people they're leading. But I tell them, like, look at yourselves first. Like, you, you got to make sure you're role modeling it mm-hmm. and you're emphasizing it and you're talking about it and it's constantly being said and not just said but like you said earlier to actually be practiced by them right. and then then the definitely is going to be important for sure so if I say I'm going to support physicians I'm going to support physician wellness or provider wellness like your values and your actions should be very consistent with that and my last question to wrap this up so we're we're giving advice for those administrators and stuff so sure. now let's what advice do you have for the co-workers um, what to do, um, what to notice, first of all, sure. you know, and then and how to handle um, the situation if you notice someone else's has burnout. Right. right. No, I appreciate you asking that. And I, I would say if you're if you notice a colleague next to you or if people you're working with, they just, you know, for the men, like I said, depersonalization is the first thing to come up. So. They seem like they're just more angry. They're complaining more. They're, you know, they just don't seem to be happy with anyone's performance. Their nurses, anything like that. To really reach out to them, just ask them, hey, how are you know how are you doing? How are things at home? You know, um, grab lunch together. Hey, do you have time for lunch? Do you have time for uh, you know coffee? Whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But make that extra effort to reach out to them. And then for our female colleagues, you can just tell they just feel overwhelmed. They're you know they're they're just they're getting pulled at home with their kids, getting pulled you know at work with all their patients and the load and just if you you know I, I would say trust your gut feeling if you're sensing something's going on with your colleague to it's okay it's you know to just be able to reach out and just say hey I just want you to know like I'm here I care about you I just want to make sure you're doing okay like I'm I, I definitely am struggling myself you know um, and you know what what kind of and I always twist it around that whole reverse psychology thing I say like how do you get through it like what do you, what do you do to get through your day better and yeah. and kind of um, open that door because I think a lot of times it, people again going back to the shame part of it they feel like we I shouldn't be complaining I should you know we have this sort of mentality like I should appreciate where I'm at you know we're always taught that right like you should appreciate what you have and this and that but at the same time when someone is able to just be vulnerable a little bit it helps us to be more vulnerable too and then I think more than anything else just to know if someone cares about you because I think the silent sufferers I would tell the leaders that too as well as it's not the ones that are out there you know they always say like the ones that have the loudest voice are the ones that speak down more Mm -hmm. it's actually your quiet ones reach out to them and just ask them you know how are they and they might be fine but that's great 
but they may not be. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, make an effort to, because we spend so much time on that small group of people who are the loudest ones, you know, they, that make the most noise. Right. But we don't do enough to really think about, because we think they're fine. They're performing fine. Their metrics are good. Hell, what? They're fine. Yeah. You know, we make up those assumptions. But sometimes, like like we were talking earlier, the ones that don't take vacation, the ones that um, are there, the ones that high, have high satisfaction scores, those are the ones I worry about. Yeah. Why are their satisfaction scores so high? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. are they, do they not have boundaries? Do they not, you know, are they not um, doing, uh, you know, able to say no to their patients or, or be able to, you know, you know, make some boundaries around time with how much appointment time they get or the ones that are in the clinic you hear about, oh, their nurses are complaining because they're in clinic mm-hmm. one or two hours after they're supposed to be. You know, those are the ones I'd be actively reaching out to, even though their metrics look great. Um, it, it, there's always a story behind every metric. Yeah. So I, I try to tell the leaders that be careful to just throw metrics out at people without any context because people will make up stories about those metrics that are often negative and not positive. And, yeah. and then the other thing I would say is really about the negativity bias. Um, if you're going through a hard time, if you just get, if you get, a, if you're getting a lawsuit, if you just got a member member complained, like some a patient complained about you, or um, if you something negative happened, what I need you to do is I need you to save every thank you card. I need you to save every email that a patient sent you that is you changed my life. You did so good because it takes. I think that it, they they actually did study this. It takes like five positives to. to check out a negative. I mean, that's how strong that negativity bias is. Yeah, so um, a lot of times what we do is we take thank you cards, we do things like that. We just toss them out to the side without really um, uh, letting it sink in to be like, wow, I really, I I got to play a role. Because one thing I I realize we don't do enough medicine is we just think it's part of our job. And, you know, that I'm like, wow, you know, I never thought about that. But how many times do we say that to patients? And instead of we should be like, thank you. Like, thank you for letting me be part of this, you know, part of saving, you know, being part of your, yeah, your journey and, and being able to play a role in saving your life, you know, and sharing that joy and gratitude with them, you know, and, and it's okay to high five ourselves once in a while, you know, to be like, I did good today, you know, and yeah, yeah. Self-compassion and self-appreciation, right? Self-appreciation. And and it's, it's not arrogance. It's not any of that. It's just more of, it's okay to, to just take the moment and just, you know, be happy with it and let it sit. Exactly, exactly. Because I can tell you much more, we criticize ourselves all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So definitely that is, that is one of the challenges for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, talking about this topic. I know um, it needs to be talked about. And I think um, uh, more so actually with those the leaderships and those hospital administrators and you made a great point like I, I totally forgot that in the fire department you know they make them like after they do have a trauma or they see something like that they have to get cleared you know by the um, I don't know if it's a psychologist or psychiatrist but they have to get cleared and why the heck would you not have that in your hospital I feel like that's so important and that's something that probably should be you know reconsidered or or, or looked at so we truly appreciate all of the insight and your incredible passion for this particular subject physician physician burnout and i think we talked about a lot of resources and a lot of things that people who are listening to this can use to to help them when they're feeling some burnout. Definitely, definitely. And like I said, great resources are, you know, if you look at like Drummond, he has a website, I think it's called The Happy MD. You've got Pamela Weibel, she has a bunch of stuff on Facebook and she's out there. And then um, Brene Brown is just, I'm like her, I'm one of her biggest fans. You know, she's got a ton of stuff that I felt like was really applicable to physicians. And then Kristen Neff is the one that's done books on self-compassion. I highly recommend those books too as well. And then just going back to the, like I think what you'd raised earlier, the mindfulness stuff with, with that app Calm and being present. And, and actually, if anything, what we don't do good enough is we don't listen to our bodies. Right. We don't listen to our bodies. And I think we have to get better at listening to our, our minds and our bodies. And I think that's, that's where your Stephen Covey example comes in exactly exactly and just you know i think what therapists taught me it's called tracking where we don't do enough to listen if if my heart's beating faster if i'm feeling if my stomach's upset if i'm having headaches a lot i gotta listen to my body and realize something's wrong like Mm -hmm. something's not right and i gotta and what is that you know we don't do enough of that and one thing i'm surprised i didn't mention and this is something that works for me really well um is find the humor Mm -hmm. if you can Mm -hmm. laughing is so important and if if someone cuts me off or if someone's being mean or 
you know, being a jackass, whatever. I laugh at it almost like, oh, like I, it's not like I'm judging them, but right. I try to find the humor in situations instead of getting upset. Right, right. You know, and, uh, and that works really well for me. And you know what I mean? And so like whatever you find, if it's the Calm app, you know, learning to, to find that humor and because um, you only live once right. and uh, and there's everyone's different and you just can't let, you know, try not to let everything right. affect you. Reach out, get help. It's that's it's OK. Right. It's healthy, you know, and there's just this stupid societal stigma about therapy and therapists yes. and that that needs to change. And. Um, I'll link all of the information that you shared for the resources and and in the Calm app and all of that um, under the description and then uh, your contact information as well. So if um, anyone wants to get a hold of you. But thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast could not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.